Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Let's face it, the future is now. We're living in a connected cyber society, and we need to stop ignoring it or pretending that it's not affecting us. Join us as we explore how humanity arrived at this current state of digital reality and what it means to live amongst so much technology and data. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. Well, hello everybody. This is Redefining Society, another episode here on ITSP Magazine, and another episode with, uh, at this point, uh, my uh, co-host, I don't want to call them uh, guests anymore, Maurice Ramirez and Alison Sakara. Hello, how are you today? Very well, thank you, Marco. I hope you are too. We're doing great, Marco. Yes, always so nice to talk to you. I feel like even if we're far away, we're doing this remotely. It's kind of like having a, a good cup of coffee in a coffee shop and having a conversation that is relevant. And I think that, that this idea, it's, it's Maurice and Alison ideas to, to talk about this topic today, which is absolutely relevant for conversation around the redefinition of modern society and uh, we're not going to go into technology although we could i guess for certain things uh, but we're going to talk uh, about social entrepreneurship philanthropic uh, entrepreneurship and uh, and, and actually we're going to touch on a few example of uh, people that are certainly contributed uh, and companies and people that have contributed to make maybe these way to do business and participate to our society in, uh, in, a, in a very, very relevant way. So without further ado, I would love uh, a quick presentation to our audience from both of you, Alison and Maurice, just in case they haven't heard the High Alert Institute episodes we had so far. Yeah, thank you, Marco. Well, you know, the High Alert Institute is one of millions of charities worldwide doing uh, what we hope is good work for underserved individuals and, and communities in a number of areas. Our area, of course, is an all hazards, one health, one nature uh, area of operation. We, we work with organizations in human health care, veterinary health care, uh, animal wellness, environmental stewardship, and technology innovations in those areas as well. 
But today we really wanted to talk about, about legacy. And Sir Robert Baden Powell, the founder of the Boy Scouts, in his final message to the Boy Scouts, uh, admonished us all to try to leave the world a little better than we found it. And as society is emerging from the pandemic and we're, we're really redefining society in this new reality, we in the, in the charitable world are seeing an interesting change, an interesting shift. We're seeing more and more individuals thinking about their impact in the world as they, as they emerge from their COVID cocoons and as they, as they think about how they're going to invest their time, talent, and treasure uh, for the betterment of the world. Isn't that nice, right? <laughs> if we all think like that. But I, I am happy to know that uh, even from your perspective, um, both of you as the founder of this nonprofit and, and being in the healthcare um, industry environment for, for a long time, uh, you, you're feeling that something is changing. So uh, are there some specific uh, signs that make you feel like, is it, is it a matter of more donation? Is it a matter of more participation? Is it a matter of cultural changes that maybe you're seeing in the news? And what is that make you feel positive about this? Well, for, for us, it's really about the research. The anticipation was that as the pandemic cleared, uh, with the changes in the economy, supply chain problems, inflation, that donations would be down overall, that people would be more frugal uh, when it came to good works and giving money away uh, because the cost of daily living was going up. Uh, and what's interesting for 20, if, when we look at the statistics for 2022, individual donors, those folks who donate five, 10, $15 when they can, uh, the folks who yeah, pass the leave a penny jar, leave a penny dish, and actually leave more than a penny. Uh, that, those donations have stayed stable compared to the five years before the pandemic. Given that the economy is not as strong now as it was then, given that yeah, people have more debt as well as cost of living, the cost of food, the cost of gasoline are all much higher, that says a lot about the importance the mindset for, for supporting good causes and just helping out. And, and then you look at, at some of the market research, uh, the way people make decisions about what they'll buy. And in the years before the pandemic, price and convenience, personal convenience, were the driving factors. Through the pandemic, again, price and and convenience, particularly delivery services and, and things that allowed you to stay sequestered uh, during the shutdowns were big deciding factors. And as, but as we're emerging, we are seeing a trend that began before the pandemic really accelerate where people care about the social consciousness, the ethics, the values of the companies that are providing their services. Even if those values don't change the product or service themselves. And 
in many cases, if the company is philanthropic, if the company is donating real cash or, or real product to good causes in places where otherwise those things can't be afforded, uh, consumers are even willing to pay more than, they, than the lowest price in order to support those good works. And they view it as their personal donation when you when these folks are placed in in uh, focus groups when they're asked why did you spend 15 or 19 percent more for you know, for that t-shirt they said well the extra money is my donation to the homeless to people who need clothing uh, to people who need uh, preparedness services to people who need a house built and and it's not about being rich or famous, although many rich, famous people uh, are now showing that they set a good example. And I think probably the, the, the greatest example of that is former, is former President Carter. Wouldn't you agree, Allison? Absolutely, Maurice. I think that's a wonderful example that everyone in this country can, can appreciate. Yeah, I mean, think about it. This is a man who was in one of the most elite clubs in the world, a living former president, still a living former president today. Uh, he was in an even more elite club, living recipients of the Nobel Prize and probably the most elite club, living former U.S. presidents who have received a Nobel Prize during or following their presidency. In fact, right now, we only have two of those, himself and, and President Obama. Uh, and in that most elite club, Jimmy Carter isn't out there saying, I'm the Nobel Prize winner, I'm former president, I, I was president of the United States, and I'm setting an example. No, he's out there. And for him, his, his, his charities, his, his donations were teaching Sunday school in the same church that he attended for decades, even before he was president. And his other was to work with Habitat for Humanity, to build homes for people less fortunate than himself. And he wasn't out there with news crews and, and fanfare and photographs. He was out there with a hammer and a saw, even in his 90s, building homes, over 4,000 homes that he contributed real day-long work, hard work. I grew up in, in, in the trades. Building a house is hard work when you're young. Imagine doing that in your 70s, 80s, and into your 90s. And he wasn't out there alone. His wife was right there by his side, driving nails, carrying boards, hanging sheetrock, lifting frames of homes into place. Yeah. And, you, know, and you know, can I can I add something? Because I, there is something I coming from marketing and branding. You know, part of my experience is you look at the companies nowadays, and and even personal brand, like you know, celebrity. You sometimes you wonder are they doing something good because they get so much more back? Like, is that marketing? Is that an advertising move? And I like to be. You know, positive that that is not, but you know, I wasn't born yesterday, so I think sometimes you can read through the line 
and and see that you know maybe that sentence coming from the CEO is not necessarily something that is going too far from just a message to the investors. But but you're bringing this example of somebody that certainly like uh, Carter, former President Carter, didn't really need that advertisement. He was really doing it because he wanted to. And and I think that nowadays you can't hide it anymore. Um, you know, the company that do good because they're true to their vision and mission, um, Patagonia, I, I can say that's that's one of that. So, would you would you guys agree that you can't lie your way out of, you know, out of this? I absolutely agree with you, Marco. Uh, you know, reputation marketing is obviously very important, particularly for small businesses and who are trying to compete with the big boys for companies that just to survive have to charge a little more. Uh, because they're small, because they're local, because they have yeah, a, a limited reach and a limited budget. Uh, so those reputation marketing issues are important. But like you said, you can't lie. You know, Abraham Lincoln said, you can fool all of the people some of the time, but you can't fool, you, you can't, and you can fool some of the people all of the time, but you can't fool all of the people all of the time. And if you're there lying, if you're saying, oh, we do this, if you're Patagonia and saying, we give 1% of our, of our gross uh, receipts to, to good causes, well, you have to do that. And if you say that you do it because it is your ethics, your ethos, and in reality, you're just doing it because it's, it's part of your marketing budget, you're going to get caught. It's going to ring hollow. The, your partners those, com those companies, those organizations that are doing the good work with your dollars are going to catch you. And even though they like the dollars, they're all about the ethics. They're going to step away from you and you're going to be left, you know, the proverbial emperor without, a cl without clothing. You're going to get caught. But I think that there's been a seed change for the majority of companies. I can't say all of them. I wish I could, but I can't where they see that their that that their clientele their customers care about these things they care about the ethics they care that the money that they spend on necessary items and leisure items and luxuries doesn't just give them a nice warm fuzzy feeling uh, or or fill their bellies or fill their gas tanks, they want to see that these companies are doing good with the money that, they, that, that they're being paid. When I spend money, I want to know that it's with a company that at the very least is not harming the environment. It's not harming children. It's not supporting uh, yeah, disparities of any type, that you know, it promotes inclusion, that they are being as responsible as the company can be. Ideally, I want to spend my money with a company that is also spending their money to do good outside of the profit motivation. Yeah, you know, where they're, yeah, I, I, I grew up believing in heaven and, and believing that, you know, it's a, a, a good work is a brick in your house in heaven and that they're building a house like Jimmy Carter, not just for themselves, these companies, they're building a house for me too with mm -hmm. my money that I spend with them.
So I, I was wondering if uh, this is something that is due to some uh, cultural shift in the new generation, maybe also due to the communication and technology that with, with mass media being on the internet and the news being already old and two, two minutes ago, and uh, we have more access to information. So on one side, we know what the problem around the world are. We don't depend from one newspaper. So I know that you wrote an article about about this particular topic, and I'm wondering if my perception of being a things about the new generation, it's, it's just my idea. I mean, is it touching older generation too? that are more motivated to, to, to do good? Something new is always possible, Marco, but the way I see it is it's <laughs> everything old is new again. <laughs> it's a resurfacing of things that have been around for a very long time. And I'll go back even further. A lot of people are tribute to uh, this kind of a, movement, dare I say, to the baby boomer age, but I see it as even older, having grown up in a multi-generational family where everybody was either a survivor of, of significant war or from World War I, World War II, immigrants coming to the United States, and or uh, had lived through the Great Depression, where everything was 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 valued and it was and 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 of course situation where if you had one apple you gave half to someone else so that every as many people could survive as possible through the baby boomer age those of us in the 50s to 70s group there are actual statistics for choosing products that have that that have a an, that are identified as socially or environmentally responsible and purchasing those from a social entrepreneur so to speak uh, is something that people actually look for these are the informed buyers and if companies actually donate you can track that they donate this there there brings in your technology you can actually go online and look up and see what are what are companies doing with their money where is it going you can look at charities and see where is their money going for real not just by something that they have in a pamphlet or have you know said on a podium the statistic that i wanted to share with you marco is that in this baby boomer era more than three quarters will, of, of persons will choose products that have this responsibility component to it. And that that actually increases to 84%, I believe, if companies choose to donate portions of revenue or profits to related charities. So there's some real numbers here, not just in, in impressions that, that, that we can share with each other. Well, and this, is, this is great. Yeah. This is great. I mean, if you have more numbers, please keep sharing. But I'm actually, uh, you know, find this being a very, very good news from, from a sociological perspective in terms of it's not just a new generation, but it's actually a movement that goes all the way back. And I love how you refer to 
the 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 generation that goes back to the Great Depression, the World War, and 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 Maurice, you mentioned the pandemic and the expectation of things to go. I mean, I think there is always one reason to to see and to share the feeling that we're all in this together, right? You can't just be selfish about things. And despite that, sometimes we do perceive society to be quite, quite selfish. Yeah, and Marco, you, you, you brought up earlier the, the, the fact that we might talk a little bit about how technology uh, mm -hmm. has changed this. And I think to Allison's point, I, uh, when my grandfather came to the United States before World War II, uh, he, he, he landed in New York uh, as, as an immigrant, didn't speak any English, and the community took him in. They gave him a place to live. They helped teach him English. They helped him find jobs where he didn't need English until he could speak it well enough, then find a job where he could learn a trade and ultimately became a Mason and, and ended up owning his own home and his, and his, his own business. Uh, and you learned about that through word of mouth. Yeah, I think there is always a, right. There's always that, that spirit of collaboration amongst people. Yes. Yeah, there's and, a pay it forward attitude. And 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 you hear it like back then, 1920s, 30s, you heard about that through word of mouth. Today we have social media. We have mm -hmm. podcasts like yours where the these these grass level movements, these these efforts uh by individuals, small efforts can add up and be replicated, be examples. And and it kind of goes again back to back to President Carter a life well lived. This isn't about him having been president. It's about him having set an example, one job site, one family at a time for 4,000 plus homes uh, over well over 40 years that he, you know, it's an example. And now in the social media and with the press, you know, many, all of us can reach out to hundreds or thousands of people and show them our example, show them that, yeah, hey, I donated. You know, if you donate, you get the immediate opportunity to share the fact that you donated. Yeah, I donated $5. Well, if I donate $5 and, you know, 30, 40, 50 of my friends over the next few months donate $5, between us, we donated 250 That's more than I can pull out of my wallet in any one chunk and just give it away. But, yeah, the, the fact that I donated... Uh, and I know that when I see others donate to a cause that I don't even know about, it spurs me to at least explore that cause and sometimes to donate. So yeah, it, it, it spreads it spreads the good works around. And I think that's one of the advantages today. I think it's one of the reasons that we see Gen Z getting all the credit, if you will. But this is you know, <laughs> Allison and I grew up in the days of the hippies. Yeah. The 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. And. This, this, this concept of, of doing good for society because by fixing society, by improving society as a whole, it improves my life in some way. Uh, I, I refer to it as enlightened self-interest, but it's not selfishness. It's the fact that you know, a rising tide ri raises all ships, another cliche, but in this world, it's very true. If you do good, if you protect the environment, it's good for me. It's good for my children. It's good for my grandchildren. It's good for all of us. And if you don't, well, it's not so good for us 
even sometimes. You know, bad. The, the, there is no excuses anymore now. I mean, you mentioned technology, right? I mean, you can. There are crowdsourcing website. There are plenty of of uh, of association and and business because you know maybe they make a percentage out of that, but they facilitate something that ultimately is good, and that's the difference between you know a social. Um, responsible company versus philanthropy and then maybe we want to make you know maybe you can help me to to to, to draw the, the difference and the definition of the two but my point is we always think that or at least we thought that we can't do anything if an earthquake happened in in turkey or or, or syria or, or so far away because we can only just help the people that are close to us but this has been a paradigm shift with with technology, we can all contribute. Even that one dollar that became a million dollar, and so even the idea that the philanthropists need to be a Bill Gates or a billionaire or a millionaire in order to be a philanthropist, it's kind of like it doesn't hold anymore. Uh, I love your your opinion on this, and maybe help our audience to understand the difference between a company that does good and then actually the definition of being a philanthrop philanthropist. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, so let's talk about entrepreneurism first. Yeah. And a social entrepreneur is a company or an individual who has a product or service that serves a social good and they're charging for it and they should. You know, so you go to the doctor. That's a social good. You take your child to the doctor, a social good. A hospital exists for a social good. It also exists to make money. Okay, that's social entrepreneurism. A company invents a new medical device, a new biological, a new a, a new drug. That's a social good, but it's also an economic good for that company. Philanthropic entrepreneurism is different. This these are companies and individuals who take a portion of the money that they make doing social entrepreneurism, inventing a new drug, in pre, providing a new service. Uh, running adult daycares, uh, doing a school for, for the neurodivergent. They take the money from that and then they take that and donate it to something that's important to them. And they don't do it because it's good advertising. They do it because it's a value to them. That is, that is it's part of their ethics. So the philanthropic entrepreneur doesn't just do good through their products, their services, their business. They then take the money that, that they make in that business and through the business, donate it to others who are doing good. And it's not always, admittedly, it's not always dollars. Sometimes it's their products and services. Google is a philanthropic entrepreneur. They donate billions of dollars worth of IT services to charities worldwide in addition to millions, hundreds of millions of dollars as cash, they, they provide IT services, including those to the, to the Heilert Institute. We work with other companies that are in the environmental remediation business. Their job is to clean up toxic waste and they make money doing so on government contracts. They make money from, from municipalities. They make money from other not-for-profit organizations to do, come in and clean the environment, but they also then donate some of those services to communities that can't afford them and come in at their cost and do a cleanup. 
And in other cases, they donate money to things like ocean plastic cleanup, which is something they're not involved in at all, but it's important work. And so they take a portion of their money and they donate it. Those folks are, are philanthropic entrepreneurs. I mean, and that's a rising trend in businesses, businesses that are taking the example of Patagonia. Patagonia uh, was one of the first to actually put a, a percentage to it. Because the big question is always, well, as a business, how much can I, how much should I donate? How much can I afford to donate? And, Pat and, and Patagonia and others said, 1% of your gross revenue, as long as it doesn't put you in the negative, as long as you're not having to borrow to do it. And that sounds like a really small amount, 1%. Uh, and what they proved in a very effective, very, very profitable uh, business model is that if you do that, even without promoting it, even without making it the center of all of your, of your advertising, customers notice and they're willing to buy more product from you, which means that your profits go up, your cost per unit goes down, you're able to buy in larger bulk and therefore your materials costs end up going down because you get a better wholesale price, your profit margin, percent profit goes up, even though you're giving 1% of your gross, because it's always 1% of the gross. And it ends up being, therefore, a smaller percentage of your profit margin, because the extra money that you make is all profit. And it was, it was an interesting business model that when 1% was first proposed by Patagonia two decades ago, everyone thought that he was crazy. <laughs> How can you give away 1% of your gross revenue? And, and it turns out now that not only was it a brilliant, brilliant business model, but it's become its own, it's become its own not-for-profit known as 1% for the planet. And there are major corporations who take the 1% pledge and they don't donate the money to 1% for the planet. They donate the money to a charity of their choosing. And they just, you know, let 1% for the planet know that they met their, their promised obligation. And sometimes those are very local charities. Look at, uh, look at Toyota and Subaru. They donate to national organizations, but they also encourage their dealerships to donate locally. By the way, so do the big automakers out of Detroit. And many of those auto, many of those local dealerships donate to local charities. Some of them very small, not for profits that are that are just in that one little city. But imagine getting one percent from a from your local auto dealership as a small local not for profit or a food bank. It could be your budget for a quarter of the year. And I love individuals that. can do that. Individuals I love that do that if you yeah if you're not if you're not living off your credit cards if you're able to put a little bit of money away towards retirement then yeah it's the old yeah one for you one for me one for you two for me one for you three for me at yeah as you as you earn your money in the year and you can give it to your church you can give it to your favorite charity you can give it to your kids boy scouts and it serves a double purpose. Yeah, it, it, it serves your child and it serves, the, it serves the greater community. There are so many ways to get multiple impacts if we just think about it a little 
differently if we look at it from a through a slightly different lens. So can a company, uh, and I, I mean, I feel like I know the answer, but can a company be both um, philanthropic and also be driven by social good? I mean, because that's that's I th when I think Patagonia or other company, I'm thinking they're already doing both, so they're they're contributing twice to to this. It's not just a company that does evil. But then he takes that one percent and donated, just kind of like you know, <laughs> buying his the ticket to, to to a better position in society, um, because I feel like that's the company that is really sticking with their vision, their mission, and really giving a big, big contribution. No, you're you're absolutely right, Marco. It is very much possible for a company to do good through their products, through their operations, through their own choices. Yeah, to, yeah, they can choose to be greener. They can choose to be more socially responsible. They can choose to be more equitable, uh, more aware. Uh, and, and we saw a lot of that leading into the pandemic and even through the pandemic. Companies that, that made certain that, that their websites, the people on their websites uh, mirrored society with a, you know, that everybody wasn't, that all the models on the websites, all the images weren't of Caucasian men, but mm -hmm. that there were, oh, yeah. well, there were people of color, there were children, there were people of diversity, uh, yeah. that, that co uh, companies uh, yeah, showed multiple types of families uh, on, their on their websites, so that there was that, that clear statement of inclusion. That's a social good. Those are social entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And then, as you said, there are the companies that do what Patagonia has set in a fine example of. They're giving of their time, their talent, and their treasure. And companies have a huge depth of talent that are already paid. They're already on the clock. There's a, there are several companies out there that build websites for a living, for money. Uh, do digital marketing for money. The Institute was just, is, has had the benefit of a digital marketer at no cost to our, to our organization donated by a small business that does digital marketing. Uh, you know, we've had the same with our website uh, and yeah, those companies, they choose to do it because they're, they're giving of their time, energy, and talent. Let's talk about that as we start wrapping here, because the connection between um, the globality and the community. So actually, in the Redefining Society podcast mission, I talk about the global village, you know, the, the Marsha McLuhan global village for mass media and communication. But I said, you know, that become even more real today with all this technology and, and how we are interconnected all with another, but we cannot always just think about globality. It's, it's just somebody or some company that can, that is so big that can make a change at the global level. The point is you can, you can still, you need to retain your connection with the community. And I, and I love when you said that, because we can't just think about the big company that do this, but the coffee shop, around the corner then maybe donate to to the library maybe donates to the local shelter maybe they just give the the extra food at the end of the day 
I think that this is something that it doesn't probably make the news as much as it should, but it, it again, it should because it could motivate people that live in the community to to go and support those kind of business. So I, I guess my, my point here is what can we do to um, make this cultural change that is already happening, but speed it up even more so that the consumers, the everyday people are more sensitive and inspired to, to get into the circle. Well, Marco, I think there are three things that any business can do. And then there are three that any individual can do. So let me do the businesses first. And I'm going to use a great example that we saw during Hurricane Ian. And, and I and our organization has no connection to these folks. Uh, but this was a, a competition barbecue team who happens to have a food trailer. They don't even have a food truck. They have a food trailer. So they, they like to do barbecue. Uh, and so they go out and they, they go to these, inter, these national competitions with, you know, 100 pounds of beef and pork, and they do competition barbecue. And if they win, they make a few thousand dollars. And if they, do, if they don't win, they had a great weekend as, as a bunch of guys. <laughs> and to support their hobby, they have, because these are, these are all firefighters on their off-duty hours, they take their same trailer that they take the competitions, and they go to, to food truck rallies. And they sell barbecue to raise money to go on barbecue competition tri competition uh, trips. Well, Ian happens, and yeah, in in uh, yeah in the south southwest Florida, a lot of communities lost restaurants. People had no food. There were a lot of folks who were displaced, who were yeah who were trying to find some place to eat because yeah they cooked at home, and now they didn't have a home. And shelters are great for a place to live and bathe and 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 be protected from the environment, but you're always relying on somebody to bring in food. The Red Cross, uh, FEMA, somebody has to bring food. Uh, so these guys just pulled up with, yeah, and, and they went on their way down collecting donations from grocery stores and butcher shops and any place that might have meat and wood because they had to fire their barbecue truck, their barbecue trailer. They showed up. Uh, and they had their necessary badges and all the things you have to do to show up at a disaster site. They're part of, of, of the appropriate volunteer organizations. And they started feeding people. And in the first week, they fed over 10,000 meals out of pocket. Yeah, now, they, they got a lot of it by, by volunteer, uh, and, but they took the time off work and they stayed for as long as they could afford to. And they went home and that was their contribution. And it's just a group of guys and, and their spouses. And yep. they just showed up. So you can do, you know, and they, they did it the right way. They didn't just show up and become part of the problem. They donated something of value and very little dollars involved. Others, yeah, but they also, as they were going, people were putting money in a jar. They didn't even plan on a jar. We're putting money in a jar that they ended up when they got there with a whole lot of cash. You know, some of that cash got used to buy food and supplies to feed people with, and the rest of it got handed to one of the local charities there who was taking over for them as they were leaving. And so you, yep. at, at, a, at an individual level, you can look at what time do I have to donate? I might have no money and no resources, but I have an hour or two 
that I can donate. I can be like Jimmy Carter and show up at Habitat for Humanity, swing a borrowed hammer against donated <sighs> nails into donated wood. And the only thing that I really have contributed is my time and sweat. And that counts. It's important. And, and then the other side, uh, if you don't have time and you don't have money, but you, you still like need to buy the, the thing that support your life, I think you can still probably uh, trying to invest that, I mean, invest in the time maybe to research that at the same price, maybe I can give it to a company that I know is doing good and is not just making money. So be selective exactly. maybe, right? So right. To, smart to, consumer. Exactly. Educated, an educated consumer. And nowadays, again, I go back to, to the internet and, and the fact that if we can access that, we can do a little bit of research. And I think that's, that's a good thing. Knowledge yeah. and education goes a, a very, very, very long way. Yeah. And Marco, I'm going to yeah, Allison's our, is our great writer and editor uh, here at, at the Institute. I'm going to suggest to her that she write an article that you kind of inspired us, philanthropic consumerism. Mm -hmm. There's a concept that hasn't been out there before as, as a model, but really social consumerism was something that was that that was being explored before the pandemic, but philanthropic consumerism, where yeah, not not just make a smart choice based on responsible products at the same price as you described, social uh, consumerism, but philanthropic. Do what you see Gen Z doing. Gen Z will spend 19% more for a product that does good because they view that extra 19% as their donation yep. to that same good cause. And it's another way to donate. It's part of your budget. It makes it it makes it easier. And I think that's what this is about. Is uh, to make I think it's a great idea. Better. I think it's a great idea. I think Allison should write about that, and then we then we can talk about the the finding and and our research, because I think it's an excellent an excellent concept. And it goes back to when we say, well, if I can do a lot, then I'm not going to do anything or somebody else will do it i mean we've we've run million of sociological experiment where people wouldn't do something because they expected the neighbor would do it the the guy next right. door would do it helping somebody because yeah somebody else is gonna do it somebody else is gonna call 911 there's plenty of example but the truth is we can all do something even very very little i like to finish this um um, Maurice with the analysis with the idea that started it all. So I'd like to give you a couple of minutes to to talk about you know the legacy of Jimmy President Jimmy Carter and how this actually did inspire the idea for for this conversation. And then we we say goodbye. Well, Marco, Maurice mentioned a lot about uh, Habitat for Humanity as being a really big cause for the Carters and launching so many projects and helping so many people in the U.S. and globally through, the, through their effort, through raising awareness, through getting more people involved, bringing more volunteers on board. I think fewer people are aware of his environmentalism legacy, which goes back to, at least as far as I know, to, goes back to the 60s as where he was a founding member of the Georgia Conservancy. 
he was also he also most people don't realize maybe did you know maurice that he actually had solar panels installed at the white house during his presidency i did actually it it was one of the things that inspired me believe it or not to do a soul to do a a a solar panel project with my younger brother for my younger brother's science fair and that's a that's a while back People don't even think there was solar panel back then. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It was done for solar hot water at the White House. Yep. I didn't know, know that. So here, here's another important element, like, you know, be be ahead of the game if you can. And, and I think, again, somebody that has the visibility to, to be able to do it with such a humble way, um, it's, uh, it's really inspiring. I, I think it's... Uh, it comes down to that. Do it because your heart tells you to do it and maybe not much of uh, There is no interest behind that. Uh, you're either doing it or you're not. Well, um, I think uh, we should end up this conversation with, uh, with that quote uh, that, uh, that you started with, the one from Sir Robert Baden-Powell. You know, try to live this world a little better than when you find it. I think there is a... There is entire books that can be written around this sentence. So <laughs> I, I say we we close this conversation here. I hope you get to write this article that we talked about. You know, philanthropic consumers. I think is a brilliant idea that can that can go a long way. And um, and I hope to to hear about that. And I know that we will have many other conversation with you and the and the um, High Alert Institute. And I invite everyone to. Listen to the past episodes because they're all very motivational and inspiring and find out more on the notes on this podcast. There will be links to the organization and to the profile for Maurice and Allison on ITSP magazine and learn more about what they do and, uh, and, the, and the good. I, I, I'm, I'm very honored to have this conversation with you because I know how you're actually doing all of this from your heart. So thank you. Thank you very, very much. And and thank you, Marco, for spreading the word and for helping us redefine society. We can only do it together. Right, Allison? Precisely. We are stronger together. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues.
If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.